0: This is Ruin Willow, and you are listening to the, oh, fuck yeah, with Ruin Willow podcast. I'm excited you're here today. I have an amazing guest to share with you with extensive experience in the field of sexuality and many, many areas across that. On my podcast, I talk about all things related to sex and sexuality, help for people, Guests who specialize in sexuality or in some way, shape, or form are involved with sexuality, sex-positive topics, and people, including erotica. Okay, this person, oh, and if you're under 18, baby love, it's time for you to leave the podcast because this is for adults only. This guest today is an amazing resource. Her name is Auntie Vice, and she teaches classes I'm looking at her little link tree here right now, and she's got a class in BDSM Beyond the Bedroom, BDSM 101, An Introduction to the Lifestyle, Class, Box Lunch, He, Softer Side of Kink. She has sex toy reviews and a love letters blog, mini BDSM resources, and she has her website and she has a podcast. Let's see, what is her podcast name again? I'm linking to it right now. Fat Chicks on Top, a podcast for everyone. Welcome to the Fat Chicks on Top, the podcast by, for, and about Fat Chicks, hosted by Auntie Weiss. Okay, this is her blurb. I'm going to continue reading it. I created Fat Chicks on Top because much of the body positive movement has missed the people who need it most. We need a space for voices of really big people, people of color. Disabled folks, queer folks, non-gender conforming folks, sex workers, poor folks, and those marginalized from the predominant culture and power structure. I wanted to have conversations which go beyond the basic, it's important to love your body conversations happening in many circles. I want conversations which happen in small corners of the world to have a platform for anyone to access them. If you are just discovering us, there are several parts to this podcast. First, there is a traditional audio podcast you download and listen to. Then when the conversations get really good, there are bonus episodes and segments you can listen to. Then there is the because we got high videos where we smoke, eat, and chat with awesome folks about random stuff because we are high. (laughs) Finally, we give you all links to awesome people, shows, and sites we talk about on the show. This also includes our personal blogs, books, and t-shirts in case you want to support getting fat chicks on top. Fantastic. Okay, what else do we have here? She has some books, which we talk about in this interview. The big workbook for submissives. And love letters to a unicorn. She has a thirty days kinky self discovery course. Okay, and then she is a writer, performer, kink educator, an award winning blogger. Woohoo! She is on Instagram as Auntie Vice, NSFW, not safe for work. And she is also on Twitter. I'm sure she may be in other places. Those are the two places. I'm looking her up on Twitter right now. Auntie Vice. Yes, she's Auntie Vice on Twitter. She's a feminist, a submissive, an author, a performer, a blogger, the host of Fat Chicks on Top, as I just said. And she has a podcast. Pronouns all. Okay, she's a media personality, and she is a wealth of knowledge. She has a great history, actually, and a little bit into politics. So she really has quite the perspective. She's really interesting to talk to, and I hope you enjoy our chat. It was really informative and enjoyable for me to talk with her about all the things we talked about, dom-sub relationships and culture and law relating to sexuality. We delved into so many amazing topics. It was just fantastic. So stay tuned, and here we go. Oh fuck yeah. I am so excited, everyone. I am about to talk to just this amazing person that has done so much. You're going to be amazed. And I'm really, really excited to share Auntie Vice with you. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to talk with you. You have an amazing lineup of things that you have done.
1: I do a little bit of everything. Yeah. this I had a totally different career planned when I was 18 and it didn't go that way. And I'm so happy for that.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I was looking at your education and you've got a great background also in education, which is just fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I'm grateful for everything that I've gotten to do. I'm thrilled that I was able to do graduate work because it changed the way I think about things and the way I think about mm. the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm really thrilled that I haven't been in politics for the last five years. That would have <laughs> killed me. Yeah, I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a
0: podcaster, a writer, a performer, and your work focuses on kink, bdsm and gender. I really love your voice for attending to those less spoken for. What's your ultimate goal with your work?
1: So, with so much of of my writing and my podcasting, the goal is to give voice to folks who've been left out of the conversation. I am a huge believer that if we listen to and create a society for those most disenfranchised, it'll be the best for all of us. And so giving voice to people who are disabled and super fats and sex workers and queer and all of those intersectionalities, that we ultimately create a better society for everybody.
0: I agree with you. I think that that is what is needed, and it's great that you focus on that and highlight that.
1: Yeah, and they're just a bunch of fun people. I mean, I really started it because people would go, "Oh, you talk to the most interesting folks," and these were just my friends. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So, and your podcast. Tell us about your podcast name and what you what you talk
1: about on it. So, my podcast is fat chicks on top i I liked the play on words, obviously, mm-hmm. and i it's really dedicated to body liberation. so mm. I interview people who've been left out of the larger conversations around body liberation, around sexuality, you know around things like uh, body independence and autonomy because that is under attack all the time in our culture. Yes, it is, and I really want to bring in people to understand that. One, sexuality is a core human right. We are all sexual. We all have the right to to have good consensual sex with other adults. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and when you get in touch with that part of your body, what I find, especially for female bodied people, is it's incredibly powerful and liberating.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. And I think that there's not a lot of respect for people who want to express their sexuality the way they want to.
1: Exactly, exactly. And that can be, you know, being very sexual and very public about it. It can also be for the same people who find that a very private, very intimate thing with one other person or even just themselves that they want to share. But we've got to remember that it's part of who we are as humans. That's part of what makes us people.
0: Absolutely. And your podcast can be found on Podbean and other other
1: all streaming services. Yeah, I'm one of these people who spend a lot of time behind the scenes making sure it's on every new streaming service that pops (laughs) up and people can find me.
0: That's the best way to do it. I you just reach more people that way. And I think it's 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 the way to go. I agree.
1: (laughs) Well, let's disempower Google and Apple. I uh, Mm, yeah, no kidding. You know, so many people have a lock. You know, there's there's those few companies that control so much of what people access and the information out there. So the mm-hmm. more we can disaggregate that and the more we can, you know, create other platforms for people to find what they need, the more important it is. And when it comes to shows like yours and like mine, it would be very easy for them to bury us or, you know, not even stream our content because they found it somehow objectionable. And so the more spread out it is, the harder it is to hide us. That's
0: so true. That's so true. It's censorship and them pressing their opinions on the rest of the world, especially when the world is actually trying to get the type of content that we have. I think mm-hmm. it's just very interesting that they're trying to shush it while people are trying to get it. It's
1: just this big fight. Right. Well, and when it comes to pleasure, that's the ultimate anti-capitalism thing, right? You, you're not—you mm. don't have to be consuming anything. You can just be with you or your partners and enjoying a good time. You're not—you know, for most of us, we're not producing anything in terms of money. I mean, there mm. are people who have sex for money, and that's great, and and all of that. But for most of us, when you're indulging in pleasure and getting in touch and loving your own body, it is very anti-capitalist, and I love. That.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And people need to focus on their own bodies and learn what they like. Otherwise, they're just never going to know. So, I I try to push that opinion of mine that everyone should explore their own bodies and their own sexuality in mm-hmm. ways that are comfortable to
1: them. Exactly, exactly. And one of the re- so one thing that's really big and there's a lot of folks talking about it right now is the orgasm gap. Which- yes you know straight women are much less likely to have an orgasm with male partner than they are with a female partner and than they are with themselves yep and so much of that is because women we have an idea of what we're supposed to be like in bed mm-hmm. so so much of what we do is performative and mm-hmm. not for ourselves so getting right. in touch with yourself is really important
0: Oh, it's really important. I mean, just the way it's been set up as far as education in our country and just the way relationships are viewed and people are taught. Yeah, it's just, it's not focused on female pleasure. And it's, I mean, I think it's getting better with all of the content out there and the people educating, but it's, it's a, it's a hard battle.
1: It is, it is. And I, I return to this a lot when I talk is there was a study done, it's out of the UK and, they th- and it's now about a decade old. They found that the reason kids between 16 and 24 watch porn is to figure out how in- adults initiate sex, mm-hmm. not for the erotic content, because we don't talk about how do you let somebody know you're interested? How do you right. engage in that? Which when you understand that they're going to porn for that, all of a sudden the huge influx of dick pics that so many women get makes sense because if you watch porn it's like oh that's what we're looking for is we want to see the dick and it's like right yeah
0: (laughs) no we want the pleasure
1: (laughs) right and if we want to see your dick we'll ask
0: Uh (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) I mean and I I feel like too that traditionally people with penises men uh, the sexuality is totally wrapped up in the penis rather Mm -hmm. than pleasure, which is totally the wrong approach.
1: Yeah. And expanding that focus to, there's lots of different ways to receive pleasure and orgasm doesn't have to be the focus of it. Too many of us feel pressure to come. And so we Mm -hmm. want, we feel we're taking too long or we didn't last long enough or whatever it is. There's that intense focus on it then makes it very hard to just enjoy being with somebody.
0: Yeah. And there's different pleasures. I Mm -hmm. mean, You can have just a pleasure for, you know, pleasing someone. You can have obviously a pleasure from actually coming, just touching. And the different levels of pleasure are not acknowledged or taught or celebrated across ways sexuality is taught or viewed.
1: Exactly. And for some of us, it really is, there's a whole language in it. And so you want to spend time, you know, stimulating different parts and being with that person because Mm -hmm. it's a way of... It's one way some of us tell them, I love you. I prioritize you. I want to be with you, right?
0: Right, absolutely. So I noticed you also write books and mm-hmm. your big workbook for submissives. Do you want to talk about that?
1: So The Big work Book for Submissives is is the best-selling one I have. It's also was a finalist for the Golden Flogger Award, which I I'm really proud it. of. Yeah. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. And what it is, is a, it's a huge compilation of readings and exercises and journal prompts to get people to explore how they want to experience submission. Like so much of sexuality, there's a very narrow representation of it. Mm -hmm. And people tend to think submission is young, bendy, white females who are willing (laughs) to do anything. And the submission is so much greater than that. And most people think submission is about pain, right? You get flogged, you get whipped, you get tied up. There's a lot of different ways to experience it. And so... There will be people who have that drive to explore it, but they don't enjoy certain aspects of the pain or, or bondage or whatever, but it doesn't mean it's not for them. So this is to help you discover what you want out of those relationships. And then I, did, I just put out 30 days of kinky self discovery, which is for people on all sides of the slash to kind of, and this was refined over a decade of teaching about kink and sexuality, the best exercises that I have for students to kind of Go through it and do the different exercises to define what they want in a relationship. Define what intimacy means to them. Define what pleasure means to them, because so many of us, if you ask somebody, what's important to you in an intimate sexual relationship, get stuck. Like that's mm-hmm. a hard answer. Yeah. And so this is to help you develop the language around it. And then the the first one I put out was love letters to a unicorn, and that is. That came out as a response to the whole 50 shades, you Mm, know, Yes, (laughs) that was coming out. And for me, kink and BDSM is so much more than that. And it's understanding how that intersects with third wave feminism, how it can be applied to public policy, because people in the kink community have a much better understanding of consent and establishing consent. Mm -hmm. And if we could even just get our legal profession to understand consent in the same way kink's people do, we would have a much better society.
0: Isn't that the truth? And it's interesting how it just, you know, by that particular group of people that you're talking about, they tend to poo-poo it and just, you know, they don't even like even recognize the fact of how extensive and comprehensive consent process is in BDSM. It's
1: crazy to me because... I've been in the community for over 30 years, and consent's key because what we do in the bedroom, if you don't have consent, could be construed as assault, kidnapping, and a whole other set of crimes, right? Right. So consent has been a really key part of that. If you look at the American legal system, what is legal would violate consent rules in most kink communities, Right. <laughs> uh, for example, in in two states in Oregon and Kansas, there have been court decisions where judges have ruled that if somebody is too intoxicated to communicate effectively and another person initiates oral sex with them, it doesn't constitute rape. What? Right. Oh There's no gosh. way that passes as consent, but legally uh, no. it does. Well, that's fucked up right? Like, I don't want somebody <laughs> sticking things in my mouth when I'm drunk like um, that. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> wow. no. The deeper you go into the legal profession, the more upsetting it gets. For example, the circuit court out of Boston has ruled that upskirt photos, so when people are in public and they secretly take photos of somebody's genitals or panties up a skirt and post them on the internet, You don't have to take them down, even if you don't have the consent to post (laughs) if they were taken illegally, because it constitutes a freedom of speech. Oh, my gosh. And again, on kink sites, that would not, you don't have the permission and somebody recognized it. You'd have to take it down.
0: Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so messed up. It's unbelievable.
1: It really is.
0: Uh, Well, how do these things happen? I guess it's the people who are in power and they just do this kind of shit and it makes no sense.
1: And it's their understanding of consent.
0: Yeah, Yeah, right. Very ignorant. So, I have a question for you about Dom and sub. Do you feel that we are all inherently a a sub or a Dom? And what about
1: switches? So, I don't think there's, you're bored one way or another. I think people can have tendencies. And I think there are folks out there who who really gravitate to one role or another because mm-hmm. I've talked to enough people when they've discovered kink, they're like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this in all my relationships anyway in this role or that role. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of us, it's another way to just kind of explore sexuality and their play of switches. Switches, you know, can depending on context and partner, you know, mood, will will choose which side of the role they're on. And some people really like it when both partners are equal in bed. The last one's never been me. But (laughs) I do think there are people who really enjoy that equality. So it depends. There's this whole bunch of psychology things that go into it and raising and what you've experienced and the interactions with the specific partner that will change those dynamics. But I think for a lot of people, they'll gravitate towards a role. But I Mm -hmm. think there's a lot of importance of experiencing multiple roles just to see how you feel in them. If if maybe you've been culturally programmed that because you happen to be say female or bigger bodied or whatever you should be more submissive sometimes it can be great to explore the dominant side and then all of a sudden you're like oh yeah i'm, I'm real into this right sure, sure sure so
0: you you your opinion is that it can be learned if mm-hmm. it's desired
1: Right. I think it can tap into other desires. And I think we have so much cultural programming around what a man is supposed to do, what a woman mm-hmm. is supposed to do, sure. that we get kind of slotted into those roles by gender. Mm-hmm. And it's important to explore, you know, not just say, OK, well, this is the way I'm at work or this is the way I'm with my family. That's not the way you are in an intimate relationship. Intimate relationships give you a lot more freedom to explore this stuff. So explore right.
0: it. Right. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, you're not going to be the same person with everyone in your life because you have different levels of comfort. You are just, you you have to accept that you are going to have different levels of comfort with different people. But with your intimate partner, hopefully it's very open.
1: Exactly. And with an intimate partner, then you can explore those things that are not safe to explore in other parts of of your life. Mm -hmm. For example, if you're at work and you're in pretty you know line job position and you can't really challenge your boss too often and you've been the peacemaker in your family for so long it might be really fun then in in intimate times to be the dominant right to mm-hmm. let that voice come out for others of us who have to be very controlled all the time and very thoughtful about our decision to let a brat come out and be able to backtalk and sash your partner. Oh my gosh, how (laughs) freeing, right? Right,
0: exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I was just having a discussion. I had an interview with a sex therapist recently and we were talking about subspace and she didn't feel like she had a good definition for what that is. Do you have a good definition that you'd like to share?
1: So subspace is an altered state of consciousness that people enter into during kink play. It's not entered into often, and it's not entered into by every submissive. It's not entered. People who can go into subspace don't do it every time they play. But in a combination of having a very trusting relationship and intense play, and it doesn't have to be pain. It can be intense psychological play or other, you know, worship or other forms of play, you'll enter an altered state of consciousness where your perceptions of time and pain and the physical will will shift on you. It's kind of comparable to being in deep meditation. And in fact, mm-hmm. we know by looking at fMRIs for people who engage in subspace often, it does the same changes for the brain that somebody who meditates on a regular basis will experience. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. In fact, I this week on my podcast, I have Dulcinea, Dulcinea Pitagora, and they are known as the kink doctor. They're an academic who used to be a pro-dom who has a great academic piece out on subspace and what goes into it. Mm. And it's it's an absolutely brilliant deconstruction of what subspace is. So yeah, if, uh, if somebody out there is looking for it, Dulcinea Pitagora, do a search on, on their works, and they have They've taken the the paper and removed it from behind the paywall. So on their site, thekinkdoctor.com, you can get a free Mm, copy of it. Nice,
0: nice. (laughs) (laughs) So very high level answer. What would you say are the benefits of someone going into subspace?
1: We'll be back after a quick break.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Spring Cleaning Champions. Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets, At manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. <laughs> spring clean your groin area.
1: Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. What? it's fun. I, I get to experience it on occasion and you're really floaty and there's, there's just this release of endorphins and good neurotransmitters your perception of pain goes way down. So for me, as somebody who lives with chronic pain, it's fantastic because it's one time mm. that I have no pain at all. Sure, and sure. Yeah. It's also it's very bonding in a different type of way to a partner, right? We don't have to have sex at all, but going into this space, I am so completely there with that one person and nothing else matters. And mm. It's incredibly intimate and close, and it only happens with people I really trust. And you know, it's just—I, it's kind of hard to explain. I'm both totally out of my body and completely in my body at the same time. Hmm. Um, And the fact that nobody else matters but that one person that I'm with is an amazing way to express closeness and love and passion.
0: Let me ask you this: Do you think a dom can go into subspace?
1: They have what's called top space. It's the same type of thing where it's this this kind of altered state of consciousness that they can enter because they become so focused and connected Mm -hmm. with what's going on in the scene. For both of them, both uh, top space and in subspace, it's letting go of goes on in that prefrontal cortex. So for Mm -hmm. most of us, we're always thinking about, oh, we got this grocery list or, oh, we've got this to-do list. And our squirrel brain's kind of bouncing all (laughs) over and worrying about stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's always the one who's, okay, how am I going to do this? What's this decision? And it's doing those higher level calculations and and executive functions. And so in subspace and in top space, that gets shut down. And so you okay. can just yes. fully be. And it's a, it's a type of peace, I think, that is hard to experience in most other ways. How would you akin it to being hypnotized? Um, It's very similar to hypnosis in that you usually have to be in a fairly trusting relationship to get Mm -hmm. there and again it frees up the brain to do stuff because you shut down those higher level functions and then the brain can just be Mm -hmm. and for those of us with a noisy brain where our brain's chatting all the time and we always have this internal dialogue (laughs) yeah to not have that is amazing like to just fully be present and not have your brain running a mile a minute or narrating your day right It's incredible. Yeah, it's somebody who has a very noisy brain. (laughs) It's so nice to just have quiet. It's like you've been around, you know, I lived in New York City for a long time. So there's always noise. You always have traffic noise and all that. Mm -hmm. And then it's like you finally get to the beach where all you hear is the waves.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Same thing in your brain. You know, you shut off the New York City brain and now you're at the beach and you're just there.
0: Right. So, yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Yeah, <laughs> I was looking one of your articles that I, I read that I thought was great, where you wrote an article about the number one thing doms hate. Would yes. you care to touch on that?
1: So I wrote it because I've talked to so many doms like, oh, my God, I can't stand it when my submissive... <laughs> doesn't communicate what they want, doesn't take that personal responsibility to communicate what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think especially for new submissives and, and for younger submissives, people think a dominant is going to read their mind. Like yeah. they're the experienced one. They're going to know what to do. They're going to be able to figure this out. No, they're not. Right. Nobody <laughs> can read your mind. If you no. want something, you have to communicate it. And being submissive doesn't mean letting go of responsibility. Right. Right. So you have to figure out and have the voice to say, Hey, I'd like to do this. I don't want to do that. Let's explore this. What do you think of that? Right? And and develop that communication and that self-understanding. So letting go of responsibility isn't being submissive at all, right? It's just being irresponsible. And so so many DOMs get frustrated because a submissive will have a scene that doesn't go quite the way they want and they blame the dominant, but they were never the ones to say, Hey, I need this, I don't want that, you know, or whatever. So We really, as submissives, it's really important to figure out what you need out of a relationship and how to voice that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, when I've talked to people too, it's the top thing everybody talks about is communication Mm -hmm. and continual communication because you aren't the same person forever. Just because you liked something before doesn't mean you like it now.
1: Right. What I really enjoyed in my 20s, some of that is really off the table now.
0: The one thing I will say, though, is the hard stops. So how would you... What is your opinion or what advice do you give when a couple has, or a set of partners, uh, they have a hard stop and one of those partners crosses that. What, crossing that, that boundary, that limit, what should be done and is is that relationship recoverable?
1: I do think it is recoverable. It depends on how both partners respond. So Mm -hmm. we all have things that we we absolutely are not okay with. Right. And when a partner crosses that line, especially, you know, if you've set it out and said, this is not okay, right? Because that's different. Some of us will trip over boundaries we didn't know were there. Sure. That's that's one thing. But if you've set it out and said doing this is never gonna be okay with me, and they do that, then for the partner who crossed the boundary to acknowledge yes, I screwed up. Yes, I crossed a boundary. No, it was not okay. And let's see what I need to do to fix that. Right. And for the partner who had the boundary crossed to be able to say, I'm really upset about this. I'm really hurt by this and express that and then say whether or not you want to recover the relationship. Right. It depends on how, how severe that boundary was. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if either partner gets really defensive or really angry about it, that's going to make it much harder. And it's really hard when you've had a boundary cross because your immediate physical reaction is going to, your body's going to tighten up. You're mm-hmm. going to have that flare of anger and adrenaline. Yeah. Um, and to take a step back, let it let it rest a beat and then say, mm-hmm. now we need to talk about it. Because if you come at it in that moment of anger, what's going to end up is, is an enormous fight that's going to be really hard to repair.
0: Yeah, true, true. Right. Yet at the same time, that person has every right to feel mm-hmm. that.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's a completely legitimate reaction. And to be able the ent- partner who violated the boundary, acknowledge that they fucked up. Like that was not okay. And yes, if the partner who crossed the boundary is very defensive and uh, I didn't realize it or I wasn't paying attention or whatever. That's only going to make it worse.
0: Right. Is acknowledge it, mm-hmm. apologize, don't shove it under the rug. And right. then maybe can move forward.
1: <laughs> Understand that once that violation has happened, you're going to have a lot of trust to rebuild.
0: Yes. Oh, right? absolutely. I'd love to touch on one other topic of BDSM. The, mm-hmm. the, the ability, I don't know if I say the ability, the effect that it has. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is in a way I'm trying to talk about how it is with people who have disabilities and is there a benefit and how do they react? I'm not reading that
1: very well. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think I get where you're going. So people with disabilities are still very sexual. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's the first thing is we tend to think of people who have disabilities, especially visible disabilities or cognitive disabilities, as not being sexual beings. Right. And we are. (laughs) we Mm -hmm. all are and what happens is because we don't see folks like that as being sexual beings often they lack getting any appropriate sex education Mm -hmm. and they're often quite often targets for sexual abuse yeah Um, in fact people who have cognitive disabilities 86 percent have been sexually assaulted before the age of 21 Jeez. and it's most often by caretakers It's awful. It is. because These are the people they trust and they haven't, they don't have the language to express what's going on. We haven't talked to people about good touch and bad touch. And so first thing is just in sex in general, we've got to be talking to everybody about sexuality, right? This isn't Mm -hmm. just for able-bodied football players. This is for everybody. (laughs) Um, For folks with various types of who are, who are, Neuroatypical people with ADHD, mm-hmm. with autism, and all of that—it uh, can be enormously helpful. I—I I got to interview Rain De Grey, who is absolutely brilliant, and I love her. Mm-hmm. She's also she's autistic porn star. Okay. And I was talking to Rain. I said, "Well, how is it? Like, you don't think of autistic people as being porn stars, right?" Right. <laughs> and, no, you don't. And she said she loved BDSM because the rules were explicit. And, yes.
0: I've heard that. Good point. Yeah.
1: Right. And when you're on the spectrum and you have any type of, of autistic disorder, it's very hard to understand the rules and very hard to read those social cues. So BSM mm-hmm. gives you these really explicit rules and sets it out. Mm-hmm. So it actually can really facilitate having better sex and having that connection because everybody knows the rules. Right. Right. For people who are very anxious, having rules set out about how long it takes somebody to respond to text, how you handle a conflict, that can reduce anxiety. So for various you know disabilities when it comes to the way your brain functions, it can be fantastic. And then physically, it can actually really facilitate better sex, right? If you have mobility issues, things like sex swings are really helpful. <laughs> Right. They're, yeah. They're incredibly helpful. You know, I do a lot of teaching for for folks who are getting older. And I'm like, discover sex furniture, like wedges to get your hips up yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. My favorite is the se- it's a sex sling, and it's like the neck pillows you see on planes, and mm. then there's these long straps yes. that go to two ankle cuffs, and then you can pull it up. Mm. It takes all the pressure off of lower back. So if wow. you get lower back issues oh my gosh, you can lay on your back all day and have people do all sorts of fun, naughty (laughs) things to you. And your back feels great.
0: That's (laughs) awesome.
1: I highly recommend it. Um, (laughs) Right. And a lot of these things, you know, various types of bondage equipment and stuff for people who don't have the physical capacity to hold themselves in certain positions or to stand up or whatever, Mm -hmm. it can be really liberating, right? Because we have this stuff. So I think BDSM Gives people, and it gives people the option to explore sex toys, right? Sex toys. Yes, I was be, just going to bring that up. <laughs> I'm glad you did. Right, can be really taboo. But let's say you have limited mobility in your hands and arms. If you get a mm-hmm. remote control sex toy, then you can like put it on your partner, or they can put it on themselves, and you can use the remote and make them feel all sorts of things. You know, your carpal tunnel is not going to interfere with a hand job at that point, right? It's oh, fantastic. Exactly.
0: Exactly. I think that that is just absolutely fabulous. I mean, just think of how that just opens up sexuality for people that don't have full physical use of their bodies. Yeah. Unbelievable.
1: And just to be comfortable.
0: (laughs) Yes. Just to be comfortable. Exactly. And, you know, do, you know, you, you want to give that pleasure. If you physically can't do that, sex toys give you that ability that you no longer have.
1: Right. Or can, you may have it for a certain period of time, but you may sure. not be have the physical stamina or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. The one thing I wish sex shops sold more often was knee pads. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> as I've gotten older, I'm serious, <laughs> knee pads, like the ones dancers wear, have become absolutely mandatory. (laughs) I understand, you know, and,
0: then that's also a piece of comfort. I mean, you know, obviously people do like, you know, pain to certain levels, certain people do, but if, if you want comfort, there are things out there that you can use to make yourself more comfortable and enjoy more.
1: Well, I tell people I'm a masochist. I'm not an idiot. I want a room in a comfortable temperature. <laughs> you know, right. I'll crawl on the floor, but I don't want my knees to ache. You know, they mm, you balance right. these things.
0: Well, and you know, for a lot of people, that that pain from that is going to take away from the experience, which is, you right. know, that's a
1: bummer. I mean, Who wants that? Right. Right. There's good pain and there's bad pain. We like mm-hmm. the good pain. We want to take away the bad <laughs> pain before we can get to the good pain.
0: Absolutely. So I was wondering if you would talk about what dictates good kink scene. Like, what are the components of that?
1: So I think for a good kink scene to happen, the partners have to have some type of emotional connection. It doesn't have to be this deep, long-standing one. You can inform that fairly quickly with somebody, but you want some level of emotional connection. You want to be present. Uh, one thing with hookup culture is that we've gotten so used to sex being transactional like you know you see somebody on Grinder, they come over you know you have sex they leave and there's just both of you can still be thinking about what you have to do next mm. just, right so for a good kink same, you actually have to be both present and in the moment and, it, and it's helpful for improving performance in general like if you are flogging somebody if you're doing, you know, sensory play or whatever, you're going to want to see how your partner's responding. So you need to be present right. and then, you know, enough communication so that you both know where the hard limits are, where the, the soft limits are and what you want to get out of the scene. I tell people when you're planning a scene, start backwards. How do you want to feel at the end? Mm. How do you both want people want to feel when they're done? Okay. Sure. What's it going to take to get you there? Uh-huh. And because it's going to be different with every scene and with every person. So work backwards. Like, do you want to feel, do you want to have a cathartic scene and have the submissive crying at the end? Do you want to have a scene where the Dom feels very worshiped and cared for at the end? Right. And then go work backwards from there.
0: Hmm. That's a very interesting approach.
1: And use lube. That's my big bailiwick. <laughs> use lube like white people use lube or like white people use mayo. Put it on everything. <laughs> if you don't think it belongs, it still goes there. If you think there's enough, you still need another dollop. Like <laughs> I can't hurt. Right. <laughs> it makes even if you or your partner get wet as the Florida swamps, it'll still make things feel better.
0: It's <laughs> a great statement. <laughs> <laughs> So, what do you think of people who say that kink is not normal?
1: One, I would say they they know nothing about statistics. Oh, um, right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, most of us are more kinky than we think, and less and more vanilla than we think. Right. Mm-hmm. Most people who said, "Oh, I thought I was kinky until I met you." And- <laughs> And then, but most, most vanilla people don't realize how much kink is involved. Like 40% of people say they enjoy being spanked or giving a spanking. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that's a pretty big, big chunk. Over that's almost half. Yeah. Right. Over 60% of people have enjoyed blindfolds or tying up a partner. Like these are very common mm-hmm. things. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more, even the more extreme kinks, 5% of people into being into water sports, you know, sex mm-hmm. that involves urine. Right. Right. You know, foot fetishes, about 10% of people really like feet. So it's pretty common. And we haven't talked about it, right? We've been so much on this controlled, you know, women shouldn't want sex at all. It should only mm-hmm. be within the confines of marriage. Right? It's a very right. cultural bias. But honestly, most of us have some weird thing we're really into. And given the chance, we want to explore it. And I want
0: to say, too, those stats, there's probably a bunch of people that aren't admitting what exactly. they want.
1: <laughs> exactly. Because you're, even when you're talking to someone or haven't explored that, haven't thought about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have, or haven't had the chance to try it. And the thing
0: that drives me crazy is the people that judge it and call it mm-hmm. nasty and the you know the dark web or something (laughs) dark you know what I mean
1: yeah I mean there is there's always going to be something that squidges you out right oh absolutely there there are things that I am just not into but if it's consensual and this is how people want to go about it with another person great it's just not my thing there's stuff I do that I know squidge other people out Um, (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, there's always going to be stuff you find bothersome or upsetting or gross or whatever, but people are going to find what you like, bothersome, upsetting or like, you know, you can be the couple who likes to, you know, have sex in the dark with, you know, all the lights off and John Denver on the (laughs) stereo and somebody else, John Denver is going to be a trigger. So, right. Isn't that the (laughs) truth?
0: (laughs) Absolutely the truth. So what about, what are your thoughts and opinions on consensual non-monogamy?
1: So I am a big fan of it. I think, I think we need multiple forms of relationship models out there. Monogamy is so all or nothing, right? Monogamy, Mm -hmm. you're successful until you're not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 52% of marriages end in divorce yeah. There's, I've seen statistics anywhere between seventy and eighty percent of people have an affair,
0: mm. so
1: it's not working for people, right?
0: Right. Yeah. When you think uh, of it that way, yeah.
1: Right. And it really, it doesn't. You're perfect, or you're, or you're a failure, which is how monogamy is portrayed. Yeah. Then it makes it really hard to have a successful relationship, and. I think so many people go in because this is the model out there thinking mm-hmm. that this is what they have to do. So when they are not getting their needs met from a partner or when they meet somebody else they would really like to explore something with, they automatically feel bad. They feel like they will be a failure if they do this. If they explore it, then they feel guilty. You know, there's all these emotions around it. So to model ways for people to have those conversations, say, well, how important is sexual monogamy for us? What do you consider cheating? And have those conversations so that a couple can really think about it, right? For some people, mm-hmm. sexual fidelity is going to be really high priority for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, lay that out at the beginning. For others, it may be under certain circumstances or with these rules, or if we're together, we can explore this stuff mm-hmm. and have those conversations so that you're both on the same page. And that's what I like about consensual non-monogamy is it allows couples to make the rules that work for them
0: right right and I can see where it can be a difficult situation when the two people in that partnership don't agree right
1: and that's where there becomes so much communication and when we talk about relationships and we talk about sex and stuff and we do if you get sex ed because only 26 states require it if <laughs> it's you ridiculous get, it <laughs> is if you get any sex ed they don't talk about the relationship component
0: no they don't.
1: And there's very few models for people to look out there and go, well, I want to do X, Y, and Z, but how do I communicate that without seeming like a slut or seeming like a bad person? Because we put all these judgments on it Yes, and and it's going to change, right? There's going to be periods mm-hmm. in your life, you know, young people are just, you're a bunch of nerve endings and you want them all stimulated <laughs> all the time. Like, <laughs> right, That's the thing. And then you get older, you're going to go through different stages and different needs and... So we need to work a lot more on how partners talk about need and desire and limits and boundaries, because we don't model that for people in media. We don't model it in school. And that's where we have that's why you end up in couples therapy right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm is trying to figure this stuff out. So we really do need to talk about. Okay, how do you figure out if it's important, like, would you be okay if your partner's on a business trip and hooks up with somebody as long as they use, you know, pregnancy and STI protection, right? Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is that okay with you? Is it okay with you if, you know, for your birthday, you do a three-way? Like, where Mm -hmm. does this fall? Because everybody has different risk acceptance and everybody Mm -hmm. has different boundaries. Yeah. So, you know, do you consider porn cheating, watching porn? Do you consider you know, emotionally intimate relationships cheating. For some people, the sex is not a big deal, but it's that emotional connection that's a much bigger deal.
0: True, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm.
1: So let's let's create more ways for people to figure out how to make these relationships work. Because for some folks, if your partner's out there and they want to sleep around once in a while, as long as they let you know they're doing it and they do it without bringing in, you know, health risk and risk of pregnancy and stuff, you're going to be fine. For others, that's going to be a really deep violation. But we have mm-hmm. to give people the ability to talk about it,
0: right? Right, and to know the importance of talking about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just because this is what you've seen modeled, this is what you've been told is okay, doesn't mean that's the end all of human relationships.
0: Yeah, I hate the judgment. I guess that's what bothers me. It's like if, mm-hmm. if, if the judgment of you know outside people that are judging a relationship that. They've already talked about and agreed upon things, and I also Mm -hmm. hate the judgment if one person wants another thing and the other person doesn't. Like, how about we just accept and then figure out accept that they have that feeling, and then figure Mm -hmm. out how they're going to work that out.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it can be lead to really devastating consequences if you don't talk about it, because ultimately Mm -hmm. both partners may have been okay with it, but there is just not the communication. Right.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So, tell me about. I was, just, I think I actually saw this maybe on your site somewhere about, I'm not sure if I saw it there, if I saw it on Twitter, something about people talking about the internet privacy and purity culture labeling, where people are, are talking about analyzing private conversations or things that you do on social media and like labeling you.
1: So there is what's called the Earn It Act, E-A-R-N-I-T Act. <sighs> It was put forward by by Senator Turtle Mitch McConnell, but it is co-sponsored by Dianne Feinstein, who is a very liberal senator from California. What the EARN it Act has proposed is to set up a commission to set out best practices for websites with more than 30,000 people on them for a way for government agencies to Access, decode, read, and store your private messages, all your DMs. So your DMs Uh on Twitter and FetLife and Facebook and Instagram and all of that would be fair game. The stated goal is to prevent childhood sex exploitation, which is a great goal. However, mm-hmm. the way this is set up does absolutely nothing to address the causes of childhood sexual exploitation.
0: Right. I can see that.
1: Right. We just want to data mine all the billions of messages that are sent every day and see if we can flag anything that looks suspicious. And then the way this is set up would allow government agencies then to monitor and store those messages without having to get any type of warrant so that's a huge privacy violation in the first oh, place. yeah. Geez. Right? A nightmare. And the other thing that is really scary to me is the more states that have gone after really extreme anti-trans laws and anti-trans mm-hmm. kids laws yeah. is What happens if a trans kid reaches out to a therapist or reaches out to somebody, you know, an adult, somebody over 18, to get some information about gender affirmation or about exploring that? Does that get flagged? Sad is that. Right. We're making it really much more unsafe for kids, especially gay kids and trans kids and all of that, to to find people to help them in these really oppressive states. And that's that's my fear. Right. We we've, we've now looks like we're losing Roe. And, and there is an article out in NPR last week. It looks like they also overturned Miranda this year, mm. which is horrifying. Um, yeah. Right. They decided about a month ago that even if you have extensive exculpatory evidence to prove your innocence, that is not enough to mandate overturning the death penalty. You can still be executed if you've exhausted your appeals. Mm -hmm. Right. And that coupled with this massive wave of anti LGBT stuff is Mm -hmm. terrifying to me. It Um, is. And as somebody who's worked on a commission who ran a commission. I look at how they want to set this up and they want the attorney general or one of their representatives, the head of ICE, the head of the FBI, uh, you know, would automatically be on the commission. And then the Senate gets to appoint eight people and the house gets to appoint eight people. Of that whole 20 people that's on it, only two have to have any expertise at all in civil rights protection. Wow. So they are, they are a 10th of the, the group that has any knowledge of civil rights, has to have any knowledge of civil rights. And then <laughs> these four of them have to have been affected or involved with preventing childhood sex trafficking. Unfortunately, most of those organizations tend to be run through churches and have very mm, much okay. of a savior complex on it. And That's these sure. are folks who can't distinguish between consensual adult sex work, sex trafficking, and survival sex. Right, Yeah. Yeah. So what we end up with is this this commission that really has the rights to run roughshod over your rights and search all your social media. And they've got bipartisan support, which is terrifying.
0: Jeez. Oh, so that yeah. is very terrifying.
1: If you're out there and you want to write your your senator or your congressperson and tell them please do not support this act, I actually on my site it's the Earn It Act post and I have a whole breakdown, you know where I go through and I break down all the different clauses and why this is going to be and then links to how to contact your elected representatives because I don't want the government calling through my things. No. And I would really like to see the world safer for for trans kids and gay kids, and this is not going to yes. do it.
0: No, it's not. What's well, great that you have that resource for people? That's just fantastic. That is so needed, and yeah, apparently this, they need to hear voices.
1: This is this is my my political nerd coming out where it intersects with my work. <laughs> I'm like, damn it, we're going to make the world safer, like tooth and nail.
0: That's right. That's right. You don't give up, and you keep fighting, and you just keep going. Mm-hmm. So what do you say to people that judge you for your work and what you're doing in your websites and your books and what you're speaking out about? How do you deal with people that don't agree with what you're doing or they poo-poo it or they just insult you, shame you? What's your way of dealing with that?
1: So first, if you don't like my, my work, I encourage you to buy multiple copies of my book for a book burning. Uh, I'll get the money and then you can't return the damn thing. I love that. Yes, yes. Please do, because that would be really helpful for book sales. <laughs> there, There is actually a big push for all of us who work in you know, promoting you know, comprehensive sex ed, talking about LGBT stuff, where... The right has really tried to reframe this as somehow it's pedophilia and recruiting kids and all of that, and it's just the opposite. In providing people language, especially youth language, uh, you know, age appropriate language mm-hmm. around sexuality, it protects them. They can yes. tell people then what's going on. They understand good touch and bad touch. And um, right. you know, I tell people, I am not the Boy Scouts. I am not the Catholic Church. Kids are safe around me. Um, Right. And then for so many of us, when we were kids, we had some type of trauma around our sexuality. We were told all sorts of really negative or bad things. And so as adults, we spend a lifetime on learning that. And mine is really about getting people to be okay in their bodies and understanding where those biases come from. And if you're not ready to address that and you're still really bought into the system, I feel bad for you, but I'm not going to change your mind. So please move on. I use the block button liberally, <laughs> very long blocks on Twitter and other social media because, you know, you're never going to win a, you know, a social yeah. media argument over this. And it's just, right. I keep putting it out there for the folks who need to hear it and people will come to it when they're ready.
0: That's true. That's a good way to look at it. You know, it's, yeah. it really is their shortcoming and mm. they need to process it and deal with it. Mm-hmm. And their shaming of you is really coming from that and their shortcoming.
1: And I understand that, you know, so many of us have been programmed to believe, you know, sex is bad and, and non-monogamy mm-hmm. is bad. Kink is mm-hmm. bad. Being fat is bad. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not. But
0: <laughs> it's, also out, like, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it.
1: It's a lifetime of unlearning, though. It, you know, so many of us yeah. have been programmed. And even if. When you unlearn, it, it's not like a single. Once you've undone it, it's done. No, right. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a lifetime fight to not have those thoughts. But it's important for people to hear other opinions.
0: Yeah. Oh, I think so too. And to not be judgment around that's that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing I think is a problem is just all these judgments of people trying to push their opinions on others, and yet mm-hmm. people like you and I are just very open and be like, okay,
1: that's your opinion.
0: You know, it's mm-hmm. not. It's yeah. very frustrating.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll go like, well, where is this coming from? Why do you believe that? Who taught you mm-hmm. that? Why are you right. so invested in this? Mm-hmm. Um, why do you care what I have under my skirt? Like, right? it's not going to be shared with you. So why? What? what's your fascination? <laughs> why do right. you have to eroticize me? Like, where is mm-hmm. that coming from? And then they usually get so frustrated, they just storm off.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. So, <laughs> I'd love to ask you about another one of your books, too. What's your yeah. dating kinky book about? Obviously, the title tells us something, but
1: <laughs> being kinky, dating Are, kinky. Oh, dating. Oh, yes. Or is that so, not a book? Did I get that that wrong? is a book. That is okay. a book. Nookie Notes is the group that put it together. And they have a, a number of us who contributed chapters in that. What oh, it's okay. like to date. Yeah. So anthology
0: well, kind of type thing. Yeah.
1: Yep. What it's like to date kinky, because when you're kinky, it can be really hard to find the right people to connect with and figure out what mm-hmm. you want. And so I did a chapter on after you get that date, how to like manage things like breakups and what not to put on social media mm-hmm. and, you know, what to do if there was a consent violation. Like, how do you handle yourself as an adult? Uh, yeah. Because with the, so I had the luck of coming into the community as a young adult when there wasn't internet right which mm, yeah. in some ways made things a lot easier
0: yeah
1: but now you'll see people who have a bad date or player's remorse and then they they'll blast somebody on on various sites and mm-hmm. really bring out their drama and nobody wants that it doesn't serve anything and it doesn't mean people haven't done shitty things so how do you address it and how do you determine things like was it a real consent violation or is this just player's remorse or was it were they just an asshole and you're mad like, they're right. different levels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and learning to be an adult while you date sucks, but something we all have to do. Right, right.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like they're maybe looking for some validation for what happened. Mm-hmm. They're, they're searching for some way to feel better about it. But yeah, it's not, I don't know that that's the way to go about getting to that point.
1: Yeah. And things like understanding that dungeon monitors are not your best friend. Uh- <laughs> right. Right, there's plenty of folks who are are newer to the scene or whatever, and they'll have a bad scene or they'll be mad at their ex and they'll ask them to be banned from the space. Mm. And it's like you don't get to do it just because you're mad or just because they were a dick to you, right? Right. right. You only get banned from spaces if there's a real violation or there's a danger and stuff. And so it doesn't mean it's a crappy dungeon or they don't are either blaming the victim or whatever. It's And it's okay for people to ask some questions, you know, just because you say something happened. Some of us want some clarity to understand what happens. And that doesn't mean we're anti-victim or we're blaming Mm -hmm. the victim or anything. We're just trying to get some clarity because we've seen enough to know that the first thing that comes out on one side is not always the full truth.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's so true. And yeah. There, the other person doesn't get to speak up or defend themselves in that kind of situation.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can do a lot of damage to somebody's reputation.
0: And,
1: mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of confusion for And that's why one of the reasons I did the piece on what doms hate, because there's so many new subs who think, well, the dominant should have known. Okay. And no, not if you don't speak up, not if you don't say these things, right? right. Not if you mm-hmm. didn't, you know, so you wanted aftercare did you ask for it
0: right right
1: was this important mm-hmm. um, you know if you didn't ask for it, some some dominants really are not into that. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a friend who's a former pro and she's like, "I will do all the nasty stuff all day long and then you bring along a surrogate for the aftercare. Like bring your your real partner or whatever or a mm-hmm. friend to hold you and stuff because that's just not what she did." And sure. she always made that very clear. So, mm-hmm. expecting that somebody's going to know what you need and what you want is is unrealistic.
0: Yeah, I think that comes down to, again, it's not,
1: it's not math. It's not a formula. Yeah. It's right. it just, <laughs> you know. Exactly. It's, it's, we've got to, uh, you know, we, we've got to communicate and you've got to be in touch with yourself. And you know what? Mm-hmm. You're going to find new stuff out about you all the time. I've been doing this for 35 years and I still find out new stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And to give yourself the grace to do that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I kind of feel like more it's more akin to a story or a memoir than mm-hmm. it is to math. It's going to be has to have discussion. It's not it's not check boxes. I mean check boxes no. in that you need to talk about things, but not check boxes in what there's no formula of what is the right scene. The, I mean no, no. you have right communication has to be in there.
1: Yeah, and you know, for dominance. Also, we're going to need things that they've got to communicate. Do you as a dominant need aftercare? Do you right. as a dominant not want to use certain? Doms have limits just like subs do, right. right? You know, my 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 partner, you know, has long told me that if I call him daddy, it's a dick shrinker because he immediately <laughs> thinks of his kids and he does not find it yeah. cute. Other yeah. people really like that. But for him, yeah. it's like, nope, nope.
0: Right. And to him, that's that's a hard stop.
1: Yeah. For him. Yeah. Anything involving middle or little play, anything that puts him in a daddy position, it makes him extremely uncomfortable. So, you know, I, you know, we don't do it. I respect that.
0: Right. I mean, that's just also respecting your partner's turnoffs too. Mm -hmm. You know, it is a compromise. You have to come to a compromise. And Mm -hmm. if you ignore those things, that's where you get into trouble.
1: Exactly, exactly. And you can, you know, sometimes you can push. I, I'm i a brat through and through. I love being a brat. <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes from having a sister that was really close in age. Um, and sometimes I'll push stuff like, you know, I'll give them... The other day I, I pulled my lips over my teeth and I'm like, I'm gonna give you a gummer when I come home. This old lady's gonna get down. And <laughs> I'm like giving, he's just like shaking his head and going, That's that's really not sexy. I'm like, but you got a heart on, I can see it, Sonny. And he's just like, Oh my god, this is just so we'll have fun and we joke around like that. But you know, and I and I know that's that's not his turn on, but god, I like giving a hard time about it. <laughs> you know the other stuff, like you know, and I would never call him master because for him, that's very much ingrained into the the chattel slavery context oh, in the u s yeah, and so there's certain words and terms and that are off limits. there are certain things we just don't don't do because it's out of yeah. respect and for him, the same with me, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And again, that comes down to communication and talking mm-hmm. about things. Hey, this word's a trigger for me. And this mm-hmm. is why, you mm-hmm. know, hopefully you don't screw up and accidentally use that word. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah. if you don't have that discussion, then you don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So tell me about the performer side of your career. I saw that you do stand up mm-hmm. and burlesque. Tell me more about what you do. And I also would love it if you included your recent thing, where you in the, were in the Nevada County Media LGBTQ Summit?
1: Yes. Okay. So for the Nevada County Media up here is our local TV station. And they have three cable stations up here. And they're producing a series of summits, which are Uh, events where people come together we film for about an hour we do a panel discussion about a topic and then afterwards it's a networking event so up here i did one on being lgbtq up in nevada county which is in northern california in the lower sierras we we are a hill country we were a red county until the last election where we went blue so it's very conservative Mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of lgbtq visibility okay Our school board is incredibly conservative and has been really trying to push some anti-gay, anti-trans stuff and everything like that. Mm, Um, Yes. So they brought a group of us together and we did a panel discussion about things going on, what are the resources are, how to find queer folk up here. And Mm. then there was people got together afterwards and actually networked. And it was nice to meet other queer people in the county. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they're running that for the next month, and it's on YouTube and stuff. But other on the performer side, I do stand up. I started stand up when I left academics and and politics because the language when you're in politics and in academics is so specific and jargon heavy. It's not meant to really communicate with the average person.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: And so, so <laughs> I started stand up because it's immediate feedback, and you see how people respond to different words and different topics, mm, I bet. and it really helped shape. My writing to make it more accessible, which I appreciated.
0: Mm, nice.
1: And then I, then I also found I had fun with it. I do a lot of storytelling. I've been on Risk. I did on Risk. I did a story about the first girl I ever slept with, which was fun. <laughs> and I've been on Body Storytelling several times, and and do storytelling type shows. And I also do stand up. In fact, I'm bringing the first all gay stand up group to Nevada County. Oh. Gonna have, we have a monthly show. In fact, it's tomorrow on Friday. Um, oh, cool. But yeah, it's just people be real visible and stuff, and, and and you know, you can have jokes with the queer community that just fall flat on on straight.
0: People. <laughs> I I can imagine.
1: Like I don't have to explain what u-hauling is if I'm with an all-gay audience, <laughs> right? <laughs> so. I do that. And then I do burlesque just for fun. And yeah, I've done a lot with uh, kink groups and doing, you know, kink performances. I did. One of my favorites was a partnered one to the song Hit Me With Your Best Shot Mm. by Pat Benatar, where I'm a bratty sub and the dom is like wrangling me and then, you know, keeps beating, basically, you know, looking for the perfect tool to beat me with to make me submissive and stuff. And it was just really fun. Like, nice to, be, you know, I'm bigger bodied, I'm older, and I can still get up there and just have a ton of fun on stage and, and get people to respond to it and stuff, which is, is a blast.
0: That's awesome. Well, good for you for doing what you want. I really respect that. All you do, you're doing what you want. And you're being mm-hmm. true to yourself. And that's what's just huge.
1: Yeah. It took me a long time to get here. You know, yeah. I, was, I was like most people. I really thought I had a career laid out and this is going to be the respectable career I had. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things that didn't work out and there were a lot of things that did. And I ended up here and it is so much better for my health. It is so much better mm-hmm. for my mental health. You know, and I do miss being able to research full time, but my body can't handle that anymore. So right. I had to find sure. another way to give back. I wasn't ready to stop contributing. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's a very key thing to tell people to not give up and to mm-hmm. keep moving forward. And you will find a way, you know, you might get you might get a door closed in your face, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you stop.
1: Right. And I think another thing we lose perspective of is when people become disabled or are, you know, are disabled, Mm -hmm. we tend to think of them as not productive people, not contributing. Mm -hmm. Most of us really want to contribute. We just have to find a way to do it that our bodies can work with it. And that's why accommodations and things are so important unemployment rate amongst disabled is really high. And it's not because we don't want to work. It's mostly because employers don't want to give us the accommodations. Mm. And it's one thing that was very frustrating for so many of us with the pandemic is because so many of us had asked to work from home Uh, for various reasons. And we're told, well, it's too much of an effort and it'll never work. And then overnight, they accommodated (laughs) millions.
0: Yep. Yep. Showing it is very possible. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting, isn't it? You're, uh, all of a sudden, you're, they can all of a sudden make it all happen.
1: Yeah, all of a sudden, it was not a problem at all. And for so many folks, just being able to work from home would mean you could be part of a workforce. You wouldn't have to be on SSDI, you, you know, yeah. to have a stable. Ind- and for so many of us to be able to contribute to a larger thing than ourselves is so important.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that's just a human urge. I mean, mm-hmm. you want it. You want that. Everybody wants that. And you can't mm-hmm. say that if someone is a certain way or is disabled in some way that they don't also want that, too.
1: Right. Right. And so it's a lot about figuring out, well, what is a reasonable accommodation? And clearly working from home is now a reasonable accommodation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the world has changed, right? It has.
1: <laughs> it's rather uh, mind blowing, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think of the before times and it's just so much is different now and we'll never go back to being being how it was
0: oh it won't i know it's i don't think it's possible Mm -mm. no so tell me more about your book the love letters to a unicorn a book about bdsm kink and non-monogamy what do you explore in that book
1: so this was the first one i put out and this explores third wave feminism and kink and policy and kink. Mm. There's a lot of folks who wonder, well, how can you be a feminist and be a submissive? Right. Like Mm. to be tied up and spanked by, by men, you obviously are not a (laughs) feminist. And so I talk a lot about how consent and choice and all of that goes into it and how it can be very empowering for people. Right. If Mm -hmm. If you understand what you're working within and you have a partner who understands how these things have been ingrained into our belief system something like you know we have the 1950s housewife Mm -hmm. role play thing that's very big in kink right right yep and the 1950s housewife in its original form is very oppressive right you can't work you stay home you take care of the kids like you have to be really beautiful all the time yeah so if you then doting doting on your husband, vacuuming in pearls and heels, uh, right? Because <laughs> you're supposed to. If you turn that into a kink dialogue, though, and both of you understand the oppressiveness of that system, and then something like vacuuming in heels and an apron become a punishment <laughs> because <laughs> it sucks. Because like, it oh, is a punishment. Because <laughs> right, it is a punishment. Then you can work it into that. You know, mm-hmm. I enjoy service. So things like Polishing the silver gives me a lot of joy. So you work that into a kink dialogue and you do it while wearing a remote control vibrator that your partner right. can buzz your clit while you're <laughs> polishing the silver and it right. becomes a really kinky 50s activity.
0: Oh, exactly. And you both are into it. I mean, of course, obviously right. you both have to be into such a thing, but
1: yeah. Yeah. You're both into it. Your silver is getting polished and you're also getting off. Like <laughs> that's the big some difference. Pleasure. Yeah. Right. I get to come where a 1950s housewife probably didn't know about <laughs> orgasm.
0: Oh, exactly. Exactly. I think that really points to the fact that a lot of people don't really understand what feminism is about.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Well, and understanding that it's not just having the choice, it's understanding what shapes that choice for you. How mm-hmm. cultural factors, how institutional factors limit your choices and shape your understanding. Yeah, um, And then how you can rebel against that. The other part is I explore different policy things. So I talk a lot about how having a national safe word, how we could implement that. Because mm. in the kink community, we have a safe word, you know, people will have safe word. And it's a word that stops all action, Yes. Uh, And if we taught around consent and we incorporated that and we had like red as the national safe word, which is kind of a default one in the community, there would eliminate this. Well, I wasn't sure if her no was really a no. I wasn't. Right. I didn't (laughs) hear her say stop. And I look at a number of (sighs) legal decisions around stuff like there's a horrible one out of Texas in 2014. The female judge was hearing a case. There was a fourteen-year-old girl who was raped on campus by an eighteen-year-old, and in you know on on the school campus. And during the hearings, the judge asked this fourteen-year-old, "Well, did you tell him to stop raping you? Did you use the word rape uh, while it was going on?" And she said, oh. "No, because none of us do." No. <laughs> that. that a word that has so much baggage with it. And you often don't process that. Like you may say stop, you may say no, whatever. And she said, well, because you didn't say rape, it wasn't a real rape.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. And so she sentenced the guy to six months of community service working at a rape support clinic. Wow. And so instituting something where we just taught kids and you could start real little and you don't have to talk about sex stuff but when something's really not okay you just say red right, right? you don't right. want somebody hugging you you know you're hurting you, somebody's hurting you just say red right, right? and we yep, instill yep. that as you grow up then you eliminate that discussion
0: right absolutely yeah. boy that would be amazing
1: yeah. And I've been working with a couple of fraternities out here at a, one of the college campuses to start working on it with the Interfraternity Council Mm-mm. to institute a safe word where if it's her, it's used in the fraternities like it's used in dungeons and stuff. If somebody says red, everything stops and that person is attended to.
0: Right. They say, hey, this this is
1: something's this is off. Stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a very clear signal because we say stop and don't in lots of context.
0: Yeah, so we say no a lot. Like, we no, say, I don't
1: want a cookie. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you don't say red.
0: Right. No, you don't. I mean, it has to be a word like that. Otherwise, it, yeah, it's not going to yeah. work. Yeah.
1: And it has to be easily accessible, something that most people can say, you know, on rote. And how that would really change a lot of this dialogue around consent. So, you know, I break stuff down like that in the book and just what the community can then add to making the world a better place.
0: Oh, yeah. Very, very great book to write. Very, very needed. Thank you. Yes. Okay. And so I have talked about most of your books, but how about your hot over 50 making the beauty, wisdom and anti-aging connection?
1: So I edited that for my mom. My mom is She's got her PhD in psychology and she was an LCSW oh, for years. And for yeah, and so about a little over a decade ago, she wrote Hot Over 50, which mm-hmm. looks at the how we process our ideas of beauty and how that actually changes the way we look. And, you know, and how looks feed back into our self-esteem and and how we move through the world. And so, yeah, I was her editor and I did a significant rewrite on that one for her. Uh, Um, Sure. Yeah. And it talks about things like we don't realize how important our looks are to ourselves, but like they found this is one of the coolest things I think out there. So people who have Depression that does not respond to most treatments, medication, Mm. you know, all of those other types of treatments. One Mm -hmm. thing that actually helps is Botox. Uh And they'll put Botox in the frown line so you actually can't frown. (laughs) And so people see themselves and they never see themselves frowning. And it actually alleviates a lot of that depression because you stop that feedback loop from seeing that negative thing on your face. When you look in the mirror and you don't feel yourself frowning and your brain will actually start to reprogram itself.
0: Oh, Uh, oh, that's very interesting, very visual person. Apparently.
1: (laughs) Most of us are right. We we feel our bodies. We look at our bodies. And so Mm -hmm. I also like the fact that I could claim depression as a reason to get Botox now that I'm. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Bonus. (laughs) Bonus. <laughs> right. And, and for people who are unhappy with themselves and who are unhappy with their bodies, a lot of people, you know, believe this. If I just get thin enough, then I'll be happy.
0: Right? Mm, yeah.
1: You're never going to be thin enough to be happy. Right. right. Uh, that, that, that doesn't
0: make you happy.
1: <laughs> right. So how do you start to address that and accept that thinness and happiness don't correlate? Right. you know mm-hmm. youth and happiness don't correlate and it act, the, the more comfortable you are in your own body the less likely you are to develop those you know little parallel lines between your eyes and the, the more mm-hmm. negative wrinkles that people get because you're not making those faces as much
0: right and and you know it's hard though And it's like our our media our advertising is constantly shoving that youth mm-hmm down our throats. And this is beautiful. This is what beauty is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This, and they portray, this is what will make you happy if you look yep. like this.
1: Yeah. If you just use our products, then you'll feel great. And, right. you know, I tell people I didn't worry about things like injecting fat into my wrinkle lines. I did the shortcut and I went pizza, like, <laughs> and I'm much happier. Oh my gosh, that's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, Because it's really about being comfortable with who you are.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for
1: most of us, that'll take a lifetime because our bodies are not what we think they should be. Right. You know, I still get frustrated with mine. Mine doesn't always do what it wants or Mm -hmm. what I think it should do. Right. But the more comfortable you can get with yourself, the more people pick that up, the more comfortable they're around you. And I found the more you can be true to who you are, the more it gives other people permission to be true to who they are around you. Yeah. And they feel safe.
0: Right. Yep, Absolutely. What are your views on erotica?
1: I am a big fan. I write a bunch of it. Mm-hmm. Please buy it. <laughs> <laughs> do you write, which, which do you share, which name you write under or. I can for a few of them. I write under Auntie Vice for some, I have some under okay. my actual name, Rebecca Blanton. And then, so I'm in anthologies like uh, best bondage erotica of the year, volume mm-hmm. two. I think I've one in best lesbian erotica and stuff. I have a bunch of stuff out there. I have some stuff on my site, okay. uh, but I think erotica is a great way for people to explore fantasy and to find what they like. Yeah. You know, you'll be reading something and you're like, Oh yeah, I could really be into that, right. uh, you know? And it's, you know, it's, it's fun escapism. There's some really beautiful work being done. There's some folks that are really doing some um, phenomenal writing when it comes to erotica. And I've talked to a number of authors on on my show, and one of the interesting things is, I guess, around forty years ago, adult novels, adult contemporary novels, had a lot of sex in them. And oh. so, like, even like Jaws, right? This is an international bestseller. <laughs> yeah, uh, Brody has an affair with the captain's wife before mm. they go out on the boat, and like that's eliminated from the movie and stuff. But I mean, it was oh, really yeah. expre- explicit sex scenes in Jaws, right? Huh? I never know was, that. Right, and it's because. As adults, sex is part of our lives. So they assumed in novels that they'd work in explicit sex. And we've really become much more chaste in writing adult contemporary fiction and taking that out of it. So there's authors who are really working at putting that back in, but it's hard to get a publisher to pick it up.
0: Oh, Um, yes, absolutely. It is. And they're very, very specific.
1: Right. And so I think it's really important to just start recognizing that this is part of our lives. It's one of the reasons the movie Short Bus, which is written and directed by John Cameron Mitchell, the same guy who wrote and produced Hedwig and the Angry Inch. He did the movie Short Bus. It was re-released this year. Brilliant movie. But it shows graphic sex scenes as just part of human interaction. Right. Right. There's this whole elaborate story around it. It's a brilliant movie, but sex is incorporated because it's so much of who we are. And I think we need more erotic in the world to kind of normalize sex and take this. People get so weird around it because it seems so taboo. Right. Right. Exactly. And, you know, I'm on on FetLife, which is Facebook for kinky people. It really is. It's It's as conservative and as crazy as Facebook is. <laughs> but, like, I tell people it's also like cats organized it because my feeds will come up someday and it'll be dozens of pictures of buttholes, right? And <laughs> you see so much of this and it kind of just becomes, oh, yeah, it's just another, like, another selfie. Yeah. No yeah. oh, big deal. There's a part of the body. Right. It's, you know, and you don't have to see it through an eroticized lens that the nudity isn't eroticized. Like all of a sudden you realize just because you're naked doesn't mean it's sexual. Right.
0: Well, they look at people that go to nude beaches. I mean, mm-hmm. they're just nude because they want to be nude. It doesn't mean that they're being sexual. Not that they can't be sexual there. Right. But that doesn't mean that's what they're going there to do.
1: That's why my, the nude beach episode of Bob's Burgers is one of my favorite because <laughs> they discover there's a nude beach in town. And Linda asked Bob to go and he's like, I don't want to go. Because it's just gonna be a lot of lot of, you know, older people with a lot of saggy parts and I don't really realize I fit in. And it's like, like, yeah, because you just go out and and some of us like sun on all of our bits and it doesn't have to be sexual at all. (laughs)
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it doesn't mean that what you're doing doesn't mean that what you're doing is wrong by going to a nude beach. And so many Mm -hmm. people would be like, You're gonna do what? You know, just
1: Yeah, and it's just, no, I just like to, I don't want tan lines. Cool. right? <laughs> and I think when you start understanding that nudity doesn't equal erotic, right. homosexuality doesn't equal sex, right. then we can start to have some really adult conversations about the body, about sexuality, about gender, about all of that. And it takes out that that tension that is unnecessarily there right now.
0: Well, yeah, that's like how advertisers can show someone woman in underwear or a man in mm-hmm. underwear when they're advertising something. Mm-hmm. Is that sexual? Right. No, but yet somehow that's OK. It's mm-hmm. so odd to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And things like nipple bands on social media. Like- right. <laughs> Nipples don't exist. Yeah. we Well, <laughs> so much of fashion, they have the pasties over them, so they won't. It's like, no. Real people have nipples. It's yeah, part
0: exactly. of it. <laughs> We're not going to like ignore a body part. That's so bizarre. It is. And to put so much weight on a nipple. I know, okay. right? Yet, yet other people are glorifying it as a breastfeeding thing. I mean, it's just absolutely asinine.
1: Yeah, it's so bizarre to me. that What? Why is this an issue? <laughs> well,
0: yeah. And just going back to the people that are, you know, they're advertising underwear and showing mm-hmm. people... Just because they're doing that doesn't mean that they're portraying sexuality. So someone could be going to a nude beach. That doesn't mean that they're, I mean, they just don't, you know, they're not pushing their sexuality on other people. They just want to be naked. Mm -hmm. Big Mm -hmm. deal. And
1: that's totally fine. (laughs) You know, for those of us who are really fair skin, it's naked with like 12 layers (laughs) of sunscreen. So Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Sunscreen companies make out in those cases. Oh, I'm (laughs) telling
1: you, because those are bits you don't want burned.
0: No, that would be painful. (laughs) 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 So tell me about your classes that you offer.
1: So I offer a wide range of classes. I teach with a bunch of different organizations throughout the year. And I focus mostly on the soft skills in kink. So things like mindfulness and incorporating that into kink, how to enjoy sex and sexuality if you have disabilities or if you live with chronic mental illness, Right, these things that impact so many of our lives, but we don't talk about. So I do a lot of those. I have a few skills classes. I have an oral sex class for how to eat pussy because we don't teach that, right?
0: No, I know, right?
1: <laughs> there's so many blowjob classes and there's not enough on the other end. Isn't uh, that so true? Yep. Yeah. And then, you know, for some some organizations ask me to like write a special one off class. So I am on Saturday, I'm recording a how to use sex toys long distance to keep a relationship hot. And mm. then that will be offered for free on thesexshed.com in about a week and a half.
0: Oh, nice. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Do you enjoy teaching in person or online better?
1: I like the interaction on person. Online makes it more accessible because I don't mm. have to drive. And with gas prices, I'd have to make yeah. a lot more money um, to go. So it makes it makes me able, online at least I can offer them at a price that most people can afford. So right. it's a trade-off. But yeah, I do like the personal interaction and, and all of that. So, but I just like getting out there and letting people talk about this stuff that they haven't been able to in other ways and figure out what's going to work for them. But yep. my whole goal is to make people more comfortable with who they are.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. a great goal. <laughs> yeah. So what do you or who, I should say, who who do you admire in your area It could be erotica authors or someone that is doing similar to you or a sex coach. What are some names of people that you really think are just doing a damn good job?
1: There's actually a ton of them. So in terms of, you know, sex coaching, sex education, that type of stuff, Dirty Lola has been
0: I just interviewed her. Isn't she amazing? (laughs) She's amazing. I can't. In fact, I think I'm going to have her podcast go live this week or her her talk. She's amazing.
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely adore Lola. I've Mm -hmm. known her for almost a decade now. Man, she does good work. Oh, Um, yeah. She also has a great Twitter account. So follow her on there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's where I found her, I think. Okay, (laughs) Sunny Megatron has done a ton of great oh, stuff. Yeah, I
0: think I've seen her on or that person. It's a girl, right? It's a woman, yeah. right? I think you're yeah. the right person. And yeah. On Instagram, I believe is where I've seen her.
1: Yep, and she does the American Sex Podcast. Mm, uh,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, really, yeah. really smart, smart woman when it comes to that. Joellen Ellen Note, who writes a lot about sex and depression, and did the book "The Monster Under the Bed: Sex, Depression, and the Conversations We're Not Having." Mm. Uh, jo Ellen's really smart. Doctor Liz Powell does a lot on neurodiversity and sexuality, and is a mm. sex coach. She's great. Let's see who who else have I talked to lately? I get to talk to so many cool people. Uh, <laughs> it's awesome. It is. I I love it. In terms of writing, Meg Elison, I am a diehard fan. She wrote the Road to Nowhere series, which starts with the unnamed midwife. Mm. St. Clair Sexsmith, who is also another brilliant writer, turned me on to Meg. And Mm. yeah, the the Road to Nowhere is such an interesting post-apocalyptic exploration of gender that I thought it was fantastic. Mm. And then I just finished Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin, She's a trans writer, and it's a it's a gender plague novel and that centers around trans folks in a post apocalyptic world where a virus has taken out everybody with high levels of testosterone oh. and it's, <laughs> it's it's a hell of a ride, so they've been doing great stuff i met. Mir uh, Billadro, who runs Wicked Grounds in San Francisco, last year managed to get the city to pull Starbucks' permit to put a coffee shop up in the leather diff- district and mm. kept it with leather folks. And so, oh my God, <laughs> the first time I've known that Starbucks actually got rejected, it was amazing. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of folks out there that are just doing really, really cool stuff. So, yeah. Oh, uh, now of course I'm blanking on the rest of them, but um, <laughs> yeah, I work with the folks at the Sex Shed, and they're doing some some really cool stuff. The guy who does Funkit Toys and makes custom dildos. oh, I've
0: is, heard of that. Is that okay? Yeah, maybe that's why I've heard of it.
1: He's phenomenal, and he is so much fun to talk to. Um, the Shane McClellan, who goes by Lana Del Gay on mm. uh, Twitter, does uh, gay ghost hunters
0: which Ah, is awesome Yeah, very interesting
1: so yeah there's just so many cool people out there doing really interesting work I I love following them and reading their stuff and and all of that great stuff
0: it's so encouraging to hear that so many people are doing things like that I just just you know we got all the other crap going on so it's just really nice to be like yeah this is this stuff is good this stuff is working this is moving Mm -hmm. in the right direction yeah
1: yeah giving people voice you know, to all sorts of different stuff. So it's, it's, it's a ton of fun and surround your people. You know, when you surround yourself with people like that, it makes the rest of this easier to take.
0: That's true. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And just as you know, that you have people that are on your side and Mm -hmm. agree with you and just, that's huge. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And just see the value in what you do that's really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's nice yep. to be validated for what you do.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's that's something we all want on some level, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, there, are there any other areas you want to talk about or touch on? And we've talked about a lot and it's been absolutely fantastic. I've really enjoyed our talk, but is there anything else you wanted
1: to bring up or talk about? I think kind of touched on on quite a wide range of stuff. So yeah, I'm thrilled with it. If I think about anything else, I'll send it to you for the show notes. But yeah, off the top of my head. Nope.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll put all of your links down the podcast notes too. And now I have to think about a title for this. This is so I mean, to encompass all of it, it's gonna be a challenge to think of a title to cover our talk. It was so amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm so
0: thrilled you reached out. This is fantastic. Oh, I am so glad you agreed to come on. It's just (laughs) great. The work you're doing is great. And I just really admire you. You're just amazing.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, you have an amazing day and thank you again. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it helpful, useful, informative, and educational, and even helped you learn some things maybe about yourself and sexuality and things you may want to try, things you don't want to try but it's all good knowledge to help you not be afraid to try new things. I want to thank you for listening, and I'm going to put all of her links down in the podcast notes so that you can access more of her, and I will put my link tree down in the podcast notes too so that you can find me wherever I am on the Internet. Please follow my podcast. Give me a rating and a review. I would love, love, love to hear your thoughts. Come back again, and I hope you have a sexy fucking day. Love ya.